Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 329 of the MTG Goldfish podcast. I'm Seth, probably better known as Saffron Olive, and we have the full crew here this week, starting with the owner of MTG Goldfish, Richard. How's it going today, Richard? Hey, Seth, doing well. How are you doing? I'm doing well. We got some interesting stuff to talk about today, but before we get to that, we have another co-host in Krim. How are you this fine Monday, Krim? Morning, Seth. Uh, pretty, pretty good. Pretty good. Ah, uh, well, that is good. So, uh, yeah, we're going to have an interesting cast today. We got some big magic news that came out in the last week. We're going to start by talking about organized play, some big changes to esports and organized play, uh, some comments from Mark Rosewater kind of related to that. So I'm going to start off with that. Also talk a little bit more about Magic Arena and the Arena Open this weekend. We have historic anthology cards, uh, version five coming out soon. We got the full set. We have some new secret layer news and also fish mail. So we're going to be jumping around, but starting with uh, the topic that caused the biggest amount of conversation in the community in the past week, which is Wizards announced uh, some big changes to esports and organized play. Richard, what's a, what's the quick recap in case anyone missed it? Uh, let people know. All right. The quick recap is the MPL is done. They, they, they've declared it to be the last season and they have not declared the replacement. Um, but they did say that organized play will not be explicitly designed to support competitive magic as a career path. However, there will be Grand Prix, PTQs, Pro Tours, and the like events. So no more MPL. Replacement, unknown, but something to do with Grand Prix, PTQs, and Pro Tours. And uh, piggybacking off of that, uh, or I don't know, if we, do we want to combine these topics? Uh, Maro basically said that 10% of players uh, participate in sanctioned events. Uh, so uh, anytime you go to like an FNM or a pre-release or anything, you're, you're in a sanctioned event. Uh, so basically saying like, uh, these events are not as, as big for the normal person. For the, the normal Magic player, uh, these events are not as big. So maybe yeah, we'll split that in its own topic uh, since that kind of spiraled out from this. But basically... You know, people are like, what about the pros? And then people are like, what about us? Is it just all casual players? And then this whole thing just devolved into uh, complaint fest, I guess, this weekend. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so uh, probably dealing with them separately makes sense. Although they definitely are related. If you saw the stream Blake did on Thursday, where they were talking about the organized play changes, one of the things he brought up, uh, I believe multiple times, was basically... Wizard slash Hasbro felt like they were investing a lot of money into spikes, essentially, like uh, heavy, competitive, uh, deeply in franchise play. And part of the reason for the organized play changes or they want to kind of rebalance, I think, was the word they use, because there's tons of casual players that are spikes out there that are maybe underserved. So they, they basically want to redo the mix and focus less on the super heavily enfranchised spike players, but more on the casual players that are being underserved, but still try to do something for everyone. But really, like these changes. Oh, my goodness. So the good news is. I think everyone, including MPL players, for the most part, agree that MPL was basically a disaster. It was a a flop for a bunch of reasons. No fault, I don't think, or at least very minimal fault to the pros themselves. Like, they were just kind of set up for failure. Uh, Wizards 
made a lot of hype about the MPL when it started, but that kind of quickly faded and all of a sudden it wasn't very well promoted and there were lots of issues with who was in and out of the league, uh, who was getting uh, uh, reg uh, regulated <laughs> out of the league, who Re was being added, Regul relegated, yes. regulated, <laughs> who was being added to the league. So there was tons of problems with the MPL. So I feel like getting rid of the MPL, I think that makes sense. Like, it definitely feels bad for the pros, and I personally feel bad for the pros because there are a lot of people that were counting on this as essentially their full-time job in living, but the MPL itself, I think it really had to go. Uh, I, I don't know. What do you guys think? Like, did anyone even like the MPL or want it to be a thing? I, I mean, yeah, like I wanted it to be a success, right? I, it's nice to have some kind of, you know, like pro league that, you know, there's like a bunch of, you know, face pros for the game. Uh, I, it, it seemed great in like, you know, in theory and all that stuff. So it's just unfortunate the way it got promoted, the way it got handled when it came to their content, all that stuff just kind of, you know, it kind of didn't really do much. Like it just felt like they didn't, they could have done so much more with it and it just kind of fell off to the wayside. Yeah. I, I like watched MPL once. Uh, so I, I don't even know what's going on in the MPL. It, it was, it just didn't appeal to me. Right. So I, I didn't watch it. So and it didn't appeal to anyone given the numbers. Uh, so it makes sense that they're sunsetting it. it you know, they tried it. They, they tried their foray into esports and then it didn't work out. So they're, they're back to the drawing board. That's essentially what they're saying. So I don't know that anyone really disagrees with that part of it because like MPL wasn't a success, right? It's pretty well known. So better try something else. The scary part, though, is there was no replacement announced. And the replacement, <clears throat> Wizard said some good things like, oh, we want to have like GPs and we want to have paper events. And uh, if you read the article, you could come away with the impression that, oh, they're going to go back to something kind of like the old pre-MPL system where there's PTQs and then you do well and you make it to pro tours. But it sounds like they were pretty explicit with the pros themselves that like there's not going to be a pro club. There's not going to be platinum and gold and silver. You're not going to have the ability to have your full time living being playing magic tournaments. At least Wizards doesn't think that's an option. The part that scares me, though, is they didn't really announce anything specific. They had some very broad things that I think most people are happy about. Like people like GPs, people like pro tours, like people like big magic, uh, paper magic tournaments, but without having any specifics, I'm really nervous because we've just seen so many times where Wizards like has what sounds like a good idea. And then a year or two or three goes by and we just kind of never hear about it again. I think there was like that million dollar, was it the Greenlight Club or something where Wizards was going to have a million dollars they were going to give to content creators and pitch your ideas. And it was this big hype thing. And then all of a sudden we didn't hear anything else. There was last year, the Hall of Fame, like we're getting rid of the Hall of Fame. But in 2021, we're going to have an even better, more awesome Hall of Fame. And we'll let you know the details. And now we're halfway through 2021 almost and have not really heard anything about the Hall of Fame. Do you, either of you have any worry that this is going to be a lot worse than it seems like it could be? I think like people are envisioning, yeah, we go back to a bunch of GPs and we have a bunch of pro tours. But when we actually get the details, do you think people are going to be happy with the system? Or do you think it's something where when we actually find out the details, people are going to be like, oh, this is not what we're hoping for or signing up for? I mean, I have to, 
I normally would go for like you know something a little more uh, positive, if you would. But I I don't think uh, I don't think people will be happy with whatever whatever is going to be announced. Mostly just because I feel like it. How do you salvage this, right? Like like it's if you were like you're not going to revert it back to the way you had it before, and it, and it can't be the MPL too. So I I don't know how you fix the situation uh, and without going like reverting back to like just the original pro tour or whatever format that was. I mean, I think pros will be unhappy uh, because wizards explicitly stated like, we are not supporting pros anymore. Right. Like outright, you're not going to get kind of like, you know, like hotel, uh, fair travel fair, stuff like that. But if I read between the lines, what they're saying is they, they want to like, make more Grand Prix and make them accessible to more people, right? So if you are just like a random grinder or a spike, I think this new system will benefit you. And if you were at the top of the old system, like a pro who got, you know, paid to get, you know, flown out to events and things like that, then the system will not benefit you. There are a lot more just regular spikes than pros. So net overall, I think this is better. Uh, but, you know, there are no details. Nobody knows. Right. But I, I think they're just taking all the MPL money and they're just going to like throw magic fests and Grand Prix and things like that and have like big open tournaments uh, where you don't get like preferential treatment if you had previous results like pros do today. Right. So I think I'm on board with that. I mean, it sounds fine. And I, I don't I don't know. It's going to depend on the details as they roll it out. Also, as far as the announcement, it was a little awkward just how it came off. Like a lot of the most important information wasn't actually in the article that they that they posted. Uh, and then you kind of had to like find tweets from the Magic Esports account or watch their live stream or see them replying to like things that I said or things that other people said. So it felt like and apparently what they told the MPL themselves was a little bit different or at least more explicit than what they told everyone as far as like don't tell people you're professional magic players anymore because that is you're not going to be like and that didn't really come across uh, through the article that like this is not going to be a thing anymore i think overall though does magic need a pro class to actually thrive and I'm not sure that it does, honestly. I, I like, I love the Pro Tour and I enjoy watching tournaments, but I think, and this kind of leads into what Mark Rosewater was saying with 10% of people actually, uh, you know, uh, participating in sanctioned events. But most people don't like we just had the pandemic year where we weren't having any paper magic tournaments. The MPL was not getting any meaningful amount of views on Twitch and was kind of fading as it was for the past year. But magic still had its most profitable and apparently most successful year that it had ever had. Does this matter? Does magic need pros? I think it needs organized play and we need big tournaments that people can go play in. But do we need, you know, some number of people who are purely playing magic tournaments as their source of income? Like, is that important to the game's success? You guys think? I don't think so in 2021. I I think it's more important that you get post Malone playing magic than building up LSV. I think Mr. Beast is way more important than, you know, the next Paulo. I I don't think, 
we need like there will always be a pro scene right like no matter what the game is there'll be a bunch of individuals who will try to optimize and play the best and that's great but i think that that's no longer relevant in terms of like as as someone in the magic community i am not like looking for pro matches and learning from pro players anymore right i'm watching content creators on twitch and on youtube i'm watching i don't know content creators outside my game play right i'm doing these other things right i think in 2021 you no longer need that pro scene because players don't play like that right like the majority of players aren't spikes right like they're not trying to play optimized decks finding optimized lines and things like that they're just trying to play some jank have some fun drink a few beers with their friends and call it a day so they have no need to watch this so that's why i don't think we need pros anymore and i think it makes sense that wizards doesn't support them and they put that money into other aspects of the game that you know does support the the regular community right which is uh if you're spikes that means just like lower level spikes like people go to grand prix people that go to ptqs things like that or if you're casual like you're not even playing in sanctioned events whatsoever uh then then help those players uh connect like maybe command fest something like that so so yeah i don't know that we need pros in 2021 anymore yeah uh you know that it's kind of weird to say that, and also we've kind of seen them already hint at it before, right? With the, the this isn't the first time they're trying to do away with like the the pro scene, anyways. But yeah, like I, I think that that's probably true, right? I mean, we we don't need a pro scene, or at least in in Watsy's eyes. So I think one question would be, how much do pros matter for? the average person's enjoyment of the big events. That's something I've been wondering about. Like when you go to a GP, how much of that is because you're going to get to potentially meet your favorite pro, your LSV, your Paulo, or whoever, whoever it is. You know, if I go to this GP, there's going to be a bunch of people that I've seen on YouTube or seen on Twitch or heard people talking about that are going to be there. I can meet them. Maybe I can play against them. I can get an autograph. How big of a draw do you think that is? That would be the one way I could see the pro scene actually really mattering for the new system is maybe that's a reason that people go. Like, I've had people tell me that they went to GP Vegas specifically so they could meet me. I'm sure that there's people that are doing the same thing for LSV and Paulo and other pros. Like, is there any concern that the Grand Prix that they do have, that they're saying we are going to have once the system rolls out, are going to be less exciting for the average player because the pro aspect might not be there what if you go to a magic fest to meet post malone seth <laughs> yeah i guess i mean i guess <laughs> right? i you guess that's true them, right? and there's other people to yep. meet right there's content creators there's cosplayers there's artists there's wizards and the pros will still be there right like the, the pros just won't disappear they're just not being paid by wizards Right. So you will still go there and you will still see whoever won the last pro tour or something. Right. If it happens to be in their area. The difference is wizards won't pay them money to fly them like across the world to show up. Right. But, you know, if you're in the area, they'll probably be there. You can still meet them. Right. There will still be players. Right. And they'll still be playing at the highest level events. So I don't know that that part went away. I don't know that wizards paid LSV explicitly to walk around the floor to sign autographs. Right. He just did that because he wanted to, right? So I think that part will continue and it won't just like disappear. 
I don't know. I was watching Paulo's video about all this, and I would encourage you to check it out on his YouTube. He has a really good, like, pro perspective take on it. In his perspective, uh, and this is partly based on him living in Brazil, was basically with this new system, I probably won't be able to go to tournaments. Like, when it comes down to it, like, it's so expensive for me to travel that most of the time I was losing money, even with the benefits I had as a pro player. Uh, I was losing money to go to a tournament, but it was worth it because there was, like, a progression. Like, I could go and do well, and that would qualify me for Worlds or get me, you know, into these other tournaments where then I could make enough money that it would hopefully in the end still be profitable. So I'm actually... I'm not sure. I feel like in something he brought up, which was a good point, if you live on the East Coast of the United States or probably the West Coast of the United States, maybe this is fine for you because you'll probably have a bunch of tournaments that you can maybe even drive to and it's not going to be expensive. But if you're from Europe or from APAC or from South America, that's going to be kind of a deal breaker. And Paulo said that Wizards basically told them, like, if you're a pro from outside of, you know, the United States or another area where there's lots of tournaments, we don't expect you to go to paper tournaments. We expect you to become like a digital player, essentially. And that'll be your your competitive play. We'll be trying to qualify uh, through Arena or who knows, maybe Magic Online. Uh, so I do think it hurts some people more than others. I think my best hope is that they greatly increase the prize pool. Like that's the way that's the way I could see this working, because like I don't think most pro uh, poker players for the, uh, have, you know, a guaranteed income. Their income is going and playing in a tournament. Maybe they have sponsorships. Maybe they do YouTube or Twitch or something, which is all available to pro magic players as well, but they survive off of their tournament winnings. The problem is magic tournaments where you get $10,000 for first place and some, you know, tiny amount for getting a top 16 or whatever. Magic tournaments traditionally just haven't paid out that much. If they raise the prize pool enough, maybe it could work like poker and maybe you would still have pros who would travel to events even though they don't have a guaranteed income because they know they're better than magic than most people and they probably have higher odds of you know getting a top eight and if you're getting a hundred thousand dollars or so you know a million dollars five hundred thousand dollars for coming in first place at a tournament that's a lot different than if you're getting 10 grand or something i think as far as the equation and they did mention like they were focused on increasing prizes for tournaments so maybe that could be a situation that works so uh, even without having any sort of like solid pro you know gold silver platinum mpl any solid pro status like that if they increase uh, the prize pool enough because i think it does matter to some extent i would say if like everyone who was in the mpl and in rivals suddenly just doesn't go to magic tournaments anymore I don't think that kills the game, but I do, do think that that's going to make GPs and Pro Tours a little bit less exciting for people if you can't meet those kind of people there because it's just not worth it for them to go. I mean, you mentioned it earlier, right? Counterpoint is we haven't had paper events for the last year and Magic is the strongest it's ever been. So like by increasing prize pool, right, you're saying Wizards should invest more in competitive scene which I think they've just basically said we're not going to do, right? So I, I don't know that it will happen, right? Like, it, you know, it doesn't make sense to, I mean, I guess it, they, they could take, like, say, the money away from the pros and then just put it into the general competitive scene, right? So prize pools increase, but maybe the pros aren't the ones who win it. But they're almost the same to me, right? Like, why would you increase the prize pool of a Grand Prix if no one is watching 
you know, the Grand Prix coverage, right? Like, how are you making this money back, right? Are people buying more secret layers when you do this, right? And the answer is it's not clear and it probably is not happening. So, like, why would you put more money into the tournament? And, yeah, I mean, what do you think, Grim? No, I mean, like, like without, yeah, I don't think I'd be saying anything without restating what pretty much uh, y'all have said right now. So I, I think the other thing I wanted to point out is, We've been focusing on pros at the moment because of this OP announcement, which kind of like specifically impacts pros. But I kind of feel like Wizards attitude is like somewhat the same for the content creator community. Like we kind of saw the same the same sort of trend where Wizards like, hey, if you're a magic content creator, we're not going to do like early access event. And we don't even know about the creator program. They just like stopped responding from what I've heard to a lot of messages uh, about the content creator program. So I kind of feel like. Like this is part of the same trend where wizards they want to shuffle money to people uh, to the casual community but i think to wizards that means uh, mr beast and other non-magic players who can maybe reach out into people who bought a few packs at walmart and played on their kitchen table but never really got further in the game than that how do you reach those people lsv's apparently not reaching them i'm apparently not reaching them so how do you reach them you go to mr beast who maybe they watch on youtube for unrelated you know unrelated reasons or hearthstone players or chess players so i kind of feel like you can see a lot of similarities between the OP changes and how Wizards has been handling like the creators program where I feel like they're just shifting away from the old guard to some extent of like content creators and pros being the way to promote magic and going in a different direction where they're trying to reach casuals by supporting non-magic players for the most part, if that makes sense. Yeah, and it works. Right. Saffron Olive will continue to make arena videos regardless of Wizards paying us anything or giving us cards or anything because we've been doing it for years and we will continue to do it. Right. Whereas Mr. Beast will do absolutely nothing unless you pay him. Right. So we should use the money where the results will come. Right. So, yeah. Right. Like I, I think paying people already making content creation is weird because they're already making it like there's no payoff. But things like early access to cards, like that's something that we cannot get no matter what, right? We need wizards to do that for us. Cutting that off is a little strange given the costs. But like, for example, uh, sponsoring content or something, right? Like paying existing magic creators to create magic content, I think is not an effective use of money, right? You should probably spend that on Hearthstone creators or chess creators or something uh, to get the new magic players. So that part... I I can agree with or I can see like the the ration the rationale behind it but I mean Wizards hasn't helped content creators for the longest time we all know that right like <laughs> early access was as far as they went right like it, it, they do very little I'm, for content creators because content creators will make content regardless right we we will play magic and make magic videos regardless of what Wizards does and and they know it right so I don't know that's how it is I mean yeah they they you look at other games too, and there's tons of other games that don't work nearly yeah. as close at all. Like with any of its content creators, except for maybe the top, top, top creators, right? So I'm sure Wizards is just kind of going to follow suit. So this kind of dovetails into uh, Mark Rosewater's quote or tweet that came up. So uh, this happened a couple days ago. I was thinking about 
enfranchised players and casual players and mentioned something about how I would guess if you could somehow have the Midian Magic player line everyone up from how enfranchised they are to uh, from very enfranchised to least enfranchised, that the Midian would almost certainly be someone who doesn't watch pro tours, doesn't play in pro tours, doesn't watch MTG Goldfish content or probably any content or engage in magic social media. Someone who's like playing magic cards on their kitchen table, bought a few packs, plays a game once in a while. And Mark Rosewater chimed in and said that was 100% true, essentially. And less than 10% of magic players have ever played in a sanctioned tournament. Did that number surprise you guys at all? I know that was a reaction I saw from some people. I figured the number was low, but less than 10%. That is, and that's including presumably pre-release events, FNM. Those are sanctioned events where you need your DCI number, or your Wizards account or whatever. Did that number surprise you? Not at all. I mean, may- maybe like, like no, actually that makes a lot of sense. When, I, when you see so many people, like back when there were paper events, uh, you'd see so many people who would just like I, you talk to so many of them. They're like, no, I don't do any of that stuff. Right? It, it, a lot of it is kitchen table. Uh, a lot of them you don't even see at the LGS. They just order everything online, and you probably don't even run into them. Uh, the the people that you know Mark Rosewater is talking about, I, I yeah, like it totally makes sense that that's the number. I mean, it it's low. It's a little surprising, but not that surprising. Seth, when was the last time you played a sanctioned tournament? <laughs> Uh, geez, who knows? Years? Many, many years? <laughs> like, never? Like, seven years ago, maybe? I mean, I've done like, some pre-releases, but it's been a long time, yeah. Yeah, I haven't I haven't done a sanctioned event in, like, three years or something, right? And we are enfranchised, right? So you can imagine a normal person not going to a pre-release, right? Like, who wants to wake up at mid- or stay up till midnight and play and whatever, right? I'll just order some cards off Amazon and play with my friends and call it a day, right? So it's not it's not like surprising that it's low. Now the exact number, take with a grain of salt, like how exactly they calculate it, like who knows? But the answer is it's very low, right? That that's the that's the TLDR, right? So whether it be 10%, 20%, 15%, 5%, like doesn't matter. It's just extremely low. Most players do not have a DCI number, is what this is saying, right? They do not show up to their LGS to play a tournament, let alone a Pro Tour or a Grand Prix or PTQ. Uh, so, and a lot of people are shocked about this, right? Because, you know, if you're on Reddit, if you're on Twitter, you're talking to very enfranchised players. We all have DCI numbers. We even compare how low the digits are, right? To, to one-up each other on how old school we are, right? And that's just like kind of the the internal club we have, right? And that's what like kind of unites us together. But there are a lot of people outside that club and they far outweigh us. And those are the people that go to Walmart, buy some cards, even go to your LGS. You've probably seen them, but they just go in, buy a box, go home and then play with their friends. Uh, so, so yeah, and, 10%. Yeah. And I think that that maybe shines a little bit of light on what Wizards is thinking with some of the organized play changes. Like, uh, in Mark Rosewater did follow up and say, organized play isn't going away. There's still going to be ways to play competitive magic. And we care a lot about enfranchised players. We spend more time uh, on them than any other group by a lot. So this isn't a bash on, you know, our little group of heavily enfranchised players. But I think what Wizards is thinking, and if you watch the live stream, what they were kind of saying is, we put a lot of 
money and time and effort into what is a very small group of magic players the pros the content producers the redditors the magic twitter people uh, uh, that's the group that we have invested a ton in but actually that's a really tiny fraction of the overall magic community like five percent or one percent or ten percent like it's a very very small amount so they're spending a ton of resources on a very small group and then relatively few resources and relatively little time on the huge group that's 90 or 95 percent that isn't talking about magic on social media or watching twitch streams or youtube videos or pro tours or playing in tournaments so i think that wizards views this is just kind of like not getting rid of organized play i don't think that's the goal they've been clear that their goal is to still have organized play but to be able to kind of even out where their resources and where their time's going a level a little bit and honestly like i'm very afraid of what the future is going to look like, whether this week's announcement is going to be followed up by something that's actually good. But from Wizards perspective, it does kind of make sense. If you're spending 90% of your time and effort on 10% of your players and 10% on 90% of your players, that's probably not very good math or a very good business sense. So I guess I can see from Wizards perspective if that's how they're looking on it, why they would be trying to reorganize and go more after and invest more in the casual crowd that has maybe been kind of underserved uh, over the last few years of Magic. So even though I'm worried about what the future holds and I'm going to really miss having, you know, pro Magic and organized play until Wizards announces what's next, maybe it makes some amount of sense from their perspective when you really think of it uh, that way. Yeah, and I'm just curious how you better serve the casual community like secretly or walking dead i mean no, no, like, no, no like joke to, right like maybe the enfranchised community hates it but everyone else loves it what are they going to choose right choose the 90 percent or the 10 percent, right and you know if they cared about what people said on reddit they wouldn't release another one right but if they care about the casual crowd that just ate it up then they would keep doing it right so like i actually think that is a legitimate thing where there is a divide and wizards will choose one side. And in, in this case, they're, they're choosing casual, right? Because we have universes beyond, which is literally secret layer walking dead into like an actual uh, multiple sets, right? So I, I think stuff like that is where we'll see it. And I, I also assume that their goal is to hopefully turn some of those more casual, less enfranchised players into enfranchised players, because Obviously, the enfranchise group that's spending a lot of money and talking about magic constantly and making content about it and going to tournaments and driving long distances to do it, those are very valuable customers to Wizards. So I think that they would like to take that person who's buying a pre-con when they check out a Walmart and plays a couple games on their kitchen table and reach out to them and get them to the local game store, get them to F&Ms or turn them into someone who's, you know, playing Commander or going to a Command Fest. So I think that's part of it, too, is just trying to get some of that 90% and like push them into the 10% or whatever number it actually is of like heavily enfranchised players because the more invested people are the the better it is for wizards so how exactly you go about that whether it's you know post malone or mr beast or some of the new tournaments they're doing with chess players and hearthstone players and so forth how you do it i don't know but i think that that's probably probably what their goal is i would say and, and to wrap this up, for people who enjoy watching high-level magic, like, I wouldn't give up hope yet, right? You still have Star City games, right? Just because Wizards doesn't invest in the tournament scene doesn't mean other 
uh, companies won't, right? If SCG finds it profitable and people are watching and you should let them know by supporting them, if you want to see like more pro play, they'll continue to do it, right? There are other games like uh, the original StarCraft Brood War where the league, the competitive league is not run by the original company, Blizzard. It's run by like a different company, right? So you can have a state of the world where whoever's running organized play in tournaments is not Wizards themselves, right? As long as there's demand, as long as you're paying money, like you can't be like, I want to watch Grand Prix coverage or something, but I'm not going to pay $5 subscription to support the streaming, right? Like as long as there's money there, someone will be there to make it. So, you know, we already have one existing league today, which is Star City Games, right? We have many, many, many tournaments happening on MTG Melee, right? Some of them will be larger. Some of them will have streaming, right? Some of them will have coverage, uh, so there is a scene and it's important that you support it if you actually enjoy it and want it to happen, right? Because if there's money to be made, people will make it, right? If there's no money, then people will move on. And, and that's how it is. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with that. But we got other topics to get to. But before we do, Richard, we have a sponsor this week. Why don't you uh, tell everyone about them? All right. Today's podcast is brought to you by NordVPN. NordVPN secures your internet and protects your data. So if you're like me, and sometimes you use your laptop at a coffee shop or an airport, and you don't want people snooping in on your latest Jun tech, right? You don't want people to pre-med a game <laughs> against Strangaroot guys. You know, you gotta keep it all under wraps. NordVPN keeps your connection secure without sacrificing any speed. Uh, they have servers in over 60 countries and they have a strict no logging policy. And one of my favorite things to do is to use NordVPN with Netflix to watch shows from other countries at no additional cost. So you can go to nordvpn.com slash mtggoldfish or use the code mtggoldfish to get a two-year plan plus one additional month at a huge discount. And they have a 30-day money-back guarantee, so you have nothing to lose. So that's nordvpn.com slash mtggoldfish or the coupon code mtggoldfish. So thank you, NordVPN, for sponsoring this episode. Uh, so let's talk some arena. We got we got two good arena topics. First off, quickly before we get to uh, historic anthologies, there was a arena qualifier this weekend, and uh, somehow, some way, wizard wizards found a way to uh, sort of mess it up. So day two of the event was supposed to be standard. It was uh, advertised as standard. That's what everyone thought it was. Somehow, someone pushed the wrong button or something, and it ended up being historic. So you had people that were playing against people playing standard decks with their historic decks also caused problems like Winota is legal and standard, but banned in historic, so people couldn't play Winota decks. <laughs> so someone actually, like, tweeted Wizards, and were like, hey, what do I do? Like, uh, this is the wrong format. And they, they said... <laughs> They said, if you joined with a standard deck, please keep on playing for now. If you've joined with a historic deck, please stop playing and await further instructions. Eventually, it got to the point where they had to essentially redo the entire event. They did give players a compensation and got their entry fee back and gave them some gems and the ability to automatically <laughs> qualify for future qualifiers. But they had to restart the whole thing from scratch. Crim, you play a lot of arena. How does this keep happening? Why why could Wizards not just run a qualifier without without some disaster striking? I I <laughs> I, I don't even know anymore. Like, I don't know how you could just, you know, like, it, is it actually just a button? Like, oops, hold on. It's historic. Or, or <laughs> I, I am curious myself because 
I mean, it is unfortunate to have to deal with this and then also reset because, you know, there's the timing stuff of everything. And, uh, yeah, like, it's it's such a funny but I think also a simple mistake. Yeah. It just keeps happening. It just keeps happening. Like, Wizards yeah. can't catch a break. But, I mean, why don't they have a backup plan, right? Like, they're just, like, scrambling, trying to piece together things at the last second they're like hey hold on like don't play don't queue wait a minute like they should just be like the event messed up here's the backup plan we're restarting it everyone gets this comp end of story but it took them so long to get it out because they were basically making it up as they go right so yes mistakes happen but there is there should be a backup plan and then these mistakes shouldn't happen to begin with right like is it that difficult to have multiple people check that you put in the right event type seems kind of important right so i hope wizards actually does something to fix this going forward because yes you got compensated but what if you had to go to work later right you can't play the event anymore right what if you took time off work to play the event right what if you were like six and oh before this thing uh you know went down and then you like mulled the four the the next restart right like there's all kinds of feel bads that happen from this so they need to make sure it goes smoothly and they need to put more resources into it, right? Like, a, a, if Arena is the premier online client and where you're running these Arena opens, it should work smoothly, right? This is, again, another terrible foray into competitive magic for first-time competitive magic players if this is what happens, right? So, you know, yeah. make it smooth, Wizards. <laughs> I I feel like it's a an investment issue. Like, I feel like... Somehow. And uh, of course, like casting a shadow over all these conversations today about organized play, about arena is wizards making more money than ever. Like you got to look at it in that context (laughs) where wizards is very proud of the fact that quarter by quarter, uh, year by year, they're making tons and tons of money. But it feels like they they just are not investing enough in arena. One thing I was looking at, I might do something like a video on this in the future, but uh, is the animations on arena. I don't know if either of you know is this when I was playing Strixhaven there was a lot of mythics where I was like wow this is probably gonna have an epic animation and then I cast it and it really didn't have an animation at all and I was like hmm that's really weird I actually went back and I built decks with every mythic from Throne of Alderaan and Strixhaven just to uh, record the animations every single mythic in Throne of Alderaan it's got animation and some are better than others. Like some are epic, like realm cloak giants, like hand of God destroying everything. Others, you know, you get a brazen bar where it pops up the little flary, a fairy and flies away. If you go to Strixhaven, less than half, I think actually have an animation that is anything more than just like a generic color when it enters the battlefield. Uh, most of them do not have a unique animation. All the Elder Dragons have, I believe, the same animation of a dragon shadow flying over the screen. Uh, so I feel like even from the context of the animations, there's just not the same amount of investment that there was a year or two ago. So I'm a little nervous about that with wizards making more and more money than ever, but the tournaments seem to be having a harder time firing and having more issues. We're getting less animations. Maybe uh, like wizards is just taking arena for granted at this point and like assuming that everyone's going to give them money anyway. And if you're playing arena, you're going to probably going to keep playing it regardless of animations or tournaments being in the wrong format. But it does feel like these issues keep coming up again and again and again. And I hope that wizards can peel off a little bit of uh, their record breaking profits and, uh, and maybe invest a little bit more in arena and make sure tournaments fire smoothly and whatnot. 
They've heard you. They've added one more intern to run. That's <laughs> <laughs> right. Arena opens. Speaking of arena, we got new cards coming to arena. We have historic anthology five. We have the full card list. There's 25 cards in all, which probably can't read all of them. I think what are what are some of the big hitters, Richard? So uh, for people listening to the audio cast. All right. I'm just going to list all the cards and I assume everyone knows what they do because we're all in franchise players, right? We know what they all do. So Ancient Grudge, Atarka's Command, Court Homunculus. If you don't know what that does, don't worry. (laughs) Dragon Storm, Dramoka's Command, Elish Norn, Grizzly Salvage, Icar Wellspring, Intangible Virtue, Into the North, uh, Jingitaxius, Coligan's Command, Merfolk Looter, Ojutai Command, Ray of Revelation, Relic of Progenitus, Reverse Engineer, Shieldred, Silumgar's Command, Stifle, Trash for Treasure, Urabrask, Vault Scourge, Vorinclex, World of Rogue. What do you think, Krim? Okay. So, like, the, the command cycle, I, I am so excited for this cycle of commands, just because this is the one that I think should have been here quite like a, a, like quite a while ago, either through another anthology or some sort, right? Because these commands are going to be so much fun, and it's going to be cool having K command and all of that. So, uh, I I don't understand some of the random little artifacts, like yeah, the one mana white artifact Court or whatever it is. One mana one, one. Yeah, that one. Gets plus one the homunculus. Yeah, I'm like, <laughs> yeah, like I don't know why that's even added, but you know, whatever. So, <laughs> Dragonstorm is in this. Uh, the Praetors are here. This like the Praetors being here is really cool to the. You know, for everyone that wants to reanimate these targets, right? So, like, these, like, Jingataxius is going to be a very fun reanimator target. Uh, You know, Elish Norn. um, But but otherwise, I think it's just a few other things to try to boost the archetype of artifacts. But, uh, yeah, I I also thought Intangible Virtue was already on the client. I guess it wasn't. So, for some odd reason, I thought that card was, it already existed. So if I just go over this, I think the the coolest thing that I'm I'm seeing here is the commands and stifle. Most not because stifle is good, but because stifle is funny. And and now you can play blue white memes and you can bring like uh mana tithe and stifle and put it into a deck <laughs> and just try to counter the most random things. Oh, speaking of stifle, I I gotta I gotta go on a little mini rant. I have had about a hundred thousand people be like. I'm going to use this to stop Thassa's Oracle. This is going to be cool. I, I I did a thing today about, like, should we ban Thassa's Oracle and Historic after uh, the pack combo was more than 50% of the meta over the weekend? And uh, some people are like, wait, I got to wait for Stifle. Got to wait for Stifle because that's going to be the answer. That's ridiculous to me. Like, uh, Stifle, yes, Stifle does technically counter Thassa's Oracle's enter the battlefield trigger. The thing is... An actual counter spell on Thassa's Oracle also stops it. And the thing is, we also have Tail's End, which is one mana more than Stifle, but it hits other things, and that hasn't stopped it. And Stifle's super narrow. There's no fetch lands in the format. So the idea that Stifle is going to be the solution to Thassa's Oracle Tainted Pack combo, I think is incredibly far-fetched. I do think Stifle's a funny card. I don't think it'll be good in Historic, but I do think maybe stifling your own Lotus Fields or doing shenanigans like that, or just memeing around like Krim said, I think it's going to be fun, so I'm glad they added it, but I don't think this is an actual answer to the Oracle Pack combo. As far as the rest of the anthology, 
I think this is a pretty solid anthology. I know the last one was a little underpowered. Uh, I think Oof. all the Praetors are sweet. Alishnorn is probably, I would guess, going to be the most impactful, but they're all sweet reanimation targets. They're all pretty iconic cards. I think that the command cycle, some are better than others, but several of them are pretty playable. I think Atarka's command and Coligan's command are probably the two big winners that just like naturally fit into top tier decks in the meta where you already have essentially Pyromaster decks, uh, almost like exist in modern that are definitely going to want to take advantage of Coligan's command, some of the Croxa discard decks, the village right sacrifice decks. Atarka's command seems perfect for the gruel beat down burning tree emissary style decks. And then you get a bunch of sweet sideboard cards like ancient grud, ray of revelation, grizzly salvage has its uses into the north is an actual rampant growth in the format. As long as you're willing to play snow covered basics over normal basics. But I think people will be because we don't have a rampant growth in the format. Relic of progenitus, another good sideboard card. So I actually really like this anthology. I don't see much that I think is going to like break the format, but I think there's a lot of playable stuff in here. There's jank stuff for lower tiered archetypes and stuff that's going to power up already popular decks. So uh, I think they kind of nailed it with this one in all honesty. Yeah, this one's a lot better than the last one. That's for sure. <laughs> also, Grizzly Salvage. Maybe, maybe now we're getting closer and closer to an actual, like, reanimator-style deck. Grizzly Salvage is huge. That's a card that sees play back to, like, Pioneer and Modern in decks that are looking to fill the graveyard. It's a really powerful version yeah. of that, that effect. So I think that does go a long way uh, towards reanimator and other graveyard-based strategies, powering them up. I... Ah. I don't know about the Praetors, in all honesty, outside of reanimation shenanigans. I'm not sure that they're cards that people will just, like, be casting in most decks. What, what do you think about the Praetors, Crip? Are they just, like, fun reanimation targets? Or do you think they'll actually have, like, a, a top-tier impact on the meta? I, I Yeah, they're just going to mostly be a fun reanimator target. Like, I, I well, yeah, because, like, Let's let's be honest. Shieldred's probably not great. Urobrask. Uh, uh, These cards are probably sweet and commander. And 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 when you look at this as a commander player, like oh my gosh, yes, these cards are amazing and whatnot. But when you look at a sixty card format, I just don't think any of these cards are going to do anything. And it, the the one that's most likely to do anything is like maybe Jingataxius. And I think Intangible Virtue is a card that we know it's good it's good enough to see play in modern i'm just not sure we got the token producers to support it yet but that's what i'm going to be keeping my eyes on if we ever get like spectral procession bitter blossom lingering souls that style of token producer in historic oh yeah then intangible virtue is probably going to be part of a really good deck but i think we're just like a little bit light on really strong token producers right now to make an intangible virtue deck I, I'm just surprised there's no cranial plating at this point. Like, just drop a cranial plating into the format. <laughs> like, Vault Scourge? Why? <laughs> like, you know, like, what am I going to do with this? Or Court Homunculus, Krim. Come on. <laughs> oh, come on. <laughs> I don't need... Court Homunculus? <laughs> it's actually a pretty good card. Like, okay. It's obviously targeted at Tempered Steel, which is they unleashed, what, two or three historic anthologies before... It's yeah. seen a tiny bit of success, but several of these cards, Coromunculus and also Vault Scourge, I think they're actually really good in a Tempered Steel deck. The question is, is Tempered Steel going to be good? I don't know. Historic is in like such a powerful place right now. I'm not even sure that like 
even if you had cranial plating, like, is an affinity-style deck actually going to be good enough to keep up with the current meta? I'm actually not sure. So I don't know if these cards actually get it over the hump, but I don't think that Court Homunculus is a joke. If I'm building Tempered Steel, I'm probably playing that as a one-drop. Like, it's a one-mana 2-2 that also benefits from your payoffs like Steel Overseer and Tempered Steel. So I actually don't think it's it's as bad as we're making it out to be. <laughs> this seems incredibly uh, I, fair, Seth. I don't know. I, I think it's, it's as bad as it might even be worse. <laughs> <laughs> oh, y'all don't appreciate a good artifact beatdown, apparently. I mean, I, I do want to attach to an ink moth nexus, man. <laughs> Not a homunculus. Right. And a cranial plating or something like that. But, like, otherwise, it's just like, hello. I, I, like, very cool. You have played a one mana, maybe a 2 2, right? Or it will eventually be a 2 2, a vault scourge, sure. But I don't know. Like, none of these cards. Seem like I, these will be players as they move forward. For right now, though, on release day, I think the majority of these are probably not going to be that great. I, I think Iker Wellspring has a higher chance of breaking into the meta. That, that because that, that uh, like I'm not like that might seem like a meme, but like Iker Wellspring was playable in like a Tesserator deck, and sure, just they they should just put. Uh, Tezzer Agent of Bolus or something like that in here, by the way. Uh, and, and put Scissors or whatever. Uh, I, I I forgot the name of the actual card. In Soul but yeah. Artifact? In Soul Artifact. I think they should put those cards into the like the format. I would be down with Tezzer. I'm also excited to build Dragon Storm. I know it's... I, I don't expect it to be good, but we do have Iron Craig feet. Like, you can get up to nine mana, and then we do have a lot of dragons. We just got all the new Elder Dragons. There's a bunch that have already been in the format, so I don't think Dragon Storm's going to be, like, a top-tier deck or anything, but it does seem like a fun deck to build. Yeah. I mean, it, I, it'll it'll be fun when you can get everything going, but, like, at the same time, I feel like Dragon Storm might just be more... Like, I, I might just play the dragon normally or something like that. But like Worse than Icker Wellspring. <laughs> well, I would... Icker Wellspring has... Once, I think Icker Wellspring has a higher chance to break into the historic meta than Dragon Storm. Corn Homunculus or Dragon Storm, crew. That is the question. Dragon <laughs> no respect for the court homunculus. So Wizards also dropped one more announcement. Uh, there are some card styles coming for the Praetors, the Phyrexian language. Uh, so we've had the judge promo Elish Norn with the Phyrexian text. We're going to yeah. have it for all five Praetors. And they're also coming in a secret lair drop uh in paper so we'll have arena card styles for them and then a secret lair drop that's tbd featuring the five praetors uh with phyrexian language on it that's gonna be a pretty spicy secret lair <laughs> like i think that's gonna be a, a super popular one but uh yeah yeah they they, also, they look awesome if they if they do that they should also just do a secret lair with all the dragon lords too because because I, I don't know. I, I I hope we get a Dragon Lord secret layer or something like that. And 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 on that too, I'm surprised that this historic anthology dropped with the commands, but not the Dragon Lords. Yeah, I, that's, I, that's true. Hmm. Maybe maybe right? historic like, anthology six we get them, but they seem like they'd be fine for the format. They're not too busted. Yeah, like they're they're not busted. I think it'd be, like I think they should put something like Silumgar Scorn and a few more 
dragon payoff cards that aren't, you know, just like here, Sarkon, ramp out a big red beater and then that's it. Like, I, I think something like Esper Dragons would be fun to play. Probably not really that good, but like fun to play. Also, uh, really quickly to point out with the Phyrexian Praetors, I think there's some financial relevance here in that uh, Phyrexian Elishnor, the Judge Probo, is really expensive. And traditionally, you kind of think of cards like that to be safe from reprinting for the most part, those really unique, weird cards. But this is essentially a reprint of Phyrexian Elishnorn in a secret lair drop. So if you have some, like, because uh, I would always think, like, uh, like the original masterpieces, like Fetchlands and so forth, or the the various, like, Amica Invocations, they're very unlikely to reprint those exact cards again. But now I'm not so sure. Like, I, I think with the era of secret lairs, Anything can be reprinted, so I don't know if special versions and masterpieces are actually, like, a safe haven financially, like I used to think a few years ago at this point, because seeing Elish Nor and Fraxine be reprinted is kind of surprising. I don't think it's a bad thing, but it's just something to be aware of. If you were treating uh, those special printings as, like, a safe way to invest or, like, getting versions of cards that wouldn't be reprinted go down in value, I don't know if that holds up anymore uh, with Secret Layers happening. Anyway, Richard, we got a few minutes. Fish mail us. All right. If you have questions, send them to at Goldfish with the hashtag MTGFishMail, and we get to your questions on air. At Solid Gold Toilet. With the power creep making decks faster uh, and turn three and turn four kills possible in some formats, do you think Wizards would ever raise the starting life to 25? Do you think it would change anything? Does that change? I mean, like... I'm thinking like Brawl, like Brawl is 25 life, right? I, I, I think something is 25 life. Momir. Momir Mo, Mo is, oh, uh, is Mo 25. Okay. I think yeah, Brawl okay. might be 30 actually, but. Oh, it was at 30? Okay, well, never mind. I, I don't I don't think they should. Five more life, I, I don't see the point in it, to be honest with you. It doesn't like, it doesn't necessarily do anything for, I think, the game so far. Yeah, I don't know if it would make things better. I think if extra five life would make it much more difficult to play aggro, uh, like mono white or mono red. And then by association, that might make control decks or things like uh, the Salte Ultimatum deck even better. Because in theory, the way you can beat them is maybe getting in under them with aggro. But if your Yarian deck starts with a five life buffer, it's going to be even easier for them to like have that extra turn to find their wrath and stabilize or have the extra turn to wrath in or ramp into their emergent ultimatum. So I actually don't really like that idea either. I don't think it would improve things. I don't know what format this is talking about, but shouldn't we be decreasing life? Like if you're getting a turn three or turn four kill, that's some like unfair combo kill, right? And that doesn't let people with combat like win because it's too fast. So if you decrease life, it gives everyone a fair shot to win on turn three? Or am I just like <laughs> totally misunderstanding everything? <laughs> Richard, your mono red is showing. Like, like, <laughs> like, I mean, yeah, you want to you want to combo off on turn four? I'll I'll kill you on turn four with combat, right? Like, yeah, it's fair, right? I I don't think we need to do that either. We just there's the simple thing where they could just print more ways to deal with combos, or if the combo is problematic enough, uh, we just ban the combo instead, right? Like, that's is Oracle. Ban it. Thoughts is Oracle, yeah, yeah. Or I mean, I don't think it would be Thoughts is Oracle. It'd be Tainted Pact. 
I just want to get rid of Oracle because it's a problem in every format, like or many it's, formats. It's only a problem, I think, in Commander, right? Uh, it wasn't. Like, it wasn't Pioneer and the Inverter deck until they banned it. Like they always ban the non-Oracle card for some reason. <laughs> they, they always yeah. ban the support card rather than Oracle itself. Uh, yeah, you know, uh, uh, I yearn, I yearn for a fair laboratory maniac kill. At least, like, make them draw a card. You know, a little, do a little bit of work for your combo kill. I. <laughs> I I don't know. I mean, I I don't see the point in lowering health. Let's just go with that. Like, because then a lightning sh- a card like a lightning strike would be backbreaking. Just a single lightning strike. Yeah, I don't. And I, Thassa's I, Oracle I think... is not backbreaking. I don't know what you're saying. Oh no, it is. It is. Thassa's Oracle is still backbreaking, but I don't know. Like, does does that really help at all? <laughs> I think twenty is uh, fine. All right, nineteen. Take it or leave it. Final <laughs> offer. <laughs> We're not barring it in your hair. That's not how that. Yo, Tarvagoy needs help. Crobledo. Word is WPN stores are asking Watsi for standard to not rotate for a year to urge uh, to ease the burden for paper players in stores, is this feasible? Other ideas to get standard paper events at LGS is back on track. Whoa. Wait, wait, wait. We're going to delay rotation from this upcoming? No, no, no. This rotation needs to happen for standard to be a thing again. So, <laughs> right? Like, am I the only? Oh, you know, I, you're, per- I 100% agree. No, please do not. I would rather speed it up. If they want to move it up by year, <laughs> yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think the line of thought is people are not buying cards and playing in standard, right? And maybe because they fear rotation is happening, so they're not buying cards and playing standard. But I think what you guys are saying is standard sucks, and that's why people aren't playing it, so they need to rotate yeah. it quick, right? Yeah, I, I don't I don't think the reason why standard isn't doing too hot is because uh like like when it comes to sales is because people are afraid of rotation right now. I, I think it might be more on just like everybody. If a majority of people that you ask, they will probably say standard's not great right now. Yeah, I I would agree with that. I think uh, if standard is struggling, it's probably that people are sick of the cards that are currently in the format because we've been dealing with the same cards for so long that uh, that people are kind of waiting until rotation. I think that's the attitude I've seen on social media, on the stream when the topic comes up, where most people are are looking forward to rotation as their opportunity to start playing standard again. So I actually think that keeping Alderaan in the format for another year would do exactly the opposite of what what uh, the person asking the question was hoping for, which is get more people to play paper standard. I think that's the exact wrong way to go about it. Yeah. Uh, last question. Lil Parker. In Yu-Gi-Oh, every six months, there will be new bannings that shake up the meta. Everybody knows this, and it's easier to live through bad metas knowing there will be bannings and limitations uh, at set dates. Could that be a potential way for Magic the Gathering? Oh, I mean, I, I think totally, right? Like, you could totally try to do that. I mean, if they're going to, like, drop Eldraine's every every set or every, you know, every other set. But, um, I don't know, having tons of bands come in that often uh, does kind of scare the, your, your consumer base when it comes to, like, standard. Yeah, that's, that's what I was trying to figure out. Does, what is the, what is the cost of a Yu-Gi-Oh deck? Like, is it? Roughly the same as oh. is, is it actually more than a uh, than a magic deck? When I last played Yu-Gi-Oh, like standard or whatever competitively, I think I had to buy Tour Guide of the Underworld and they were 
you need a playset. So it's a playset in Yu-Gi-Oh is three. So they were about two fifty a piece. Standard. So, Standards, yes. What? <laughs> wow. Uh, yeah, and then you have your extra deck, which was like your fusion monsters and stuff like that, and then your Eeksies. So there's like Zen Mains, which is another t- like $200. So a deck can... And maybe that was at the time I was playing, maybe that era was the most expensive it'd been, but like there were still Rescue Rabbits, and those were like 50 a piece. So Yu-Gi-Oh decks are very expensive, and the market for Yu-Gi-Oh can overnight... I think when it got a reprint announcement out of nowhere, my tour guides went from $250 to $5. So I was very upset <laughs> because yeah. So I, I don't, I don't know if like, like, cause the, I think the, the design philosophy behind Yu-Gi-Oh also might be a lot more wild. <laughs> so for, believe it or not, I think magic is somehow the more balanced game. Uh, I do. Do I think they need to have a like a, a banning every six months? Probably. That's a bit aggressive. Uh, but but yeah, like I I think that Magic should be more aggressive to ban if they are trying to like you know especially like in historic formats like their digital format. But paper format, I don't know. I like standard. Every, I guess every three months, just do a check. Maybe six months. I don't know. Yeah, I think I- it'd be nice. I I would be fine with uh, rotation every six months personally like that. I think that's my ideal solution. Uh, I think I would I would worry that maybe sometimes you don't need a banning. So saying like we're definitely going to ban something every so many you know months is a little weird to me. But maybe it would be fine. I do like shakeups of formats. So I would prefer rotation though. I think if I had to choose between uh, guaranteed banning every six months and just rotating, especially for standard, I, I just want to see more rotations and things shaking up faster. Uh, yeah, I mean standard just needs to rotate faster now. Oh, hundred percent. Also, since we're talking about other games, I got to bring this up super quick. I know we're running long. Uh, neither one of you really play Hearthstone actively, right? Hearthstone, not really. They they announced uh, just recently. They are selling full meta decks, uh, like literal actual tournament decks that players seem to think are like actually pretty good, but they're selling them for $20. So if you would like to play Hearthstone and you want to play a tournament in standard rather than opening tons and tons of packs, which you had to do before, uh, you can just buy a deck, go to the store, 20 bucks, get your, get your meta deck and go play a tournament. Uh, it makes me a little sad. It's, it's a, a real meta deck, like the, right? like Not the digital a store. No, there. So I've read a couple articles, and some people are like, "Well, it's not like fully 100% optimal, but they're like actual like tournament decks that have a bunch of legendaries and epics and rares." So yeah, they're 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 not event decks. If they're probably they're at least challenger decks, the our equivalent of challenger decks, uh, probably roughly like challenger decks, maybe slightly better they than might. challenger decks. Except you Wait, get them on a. Value-wise, if it's value-wise, I think it might even be better than a challenger deck because the dust and whatnot, dust value of a legendary seems amazing. And especially if you... I don't know what legendaries they're coming with, though, so, like... Well, and also, we can't get challenger decks on Arena, Richard. That doesn't do anything for Arena. Would you buy a challenger deck? Would this solve any woes if they sold challenger decks? If I could pay $20 to get, like... A bunch of rares and mythics and uh like needed to you know craft a couple more wild cards or something a couple more ember cleaves to finish mono red or something i think that would be a huge savings like right now it costs so much to get a deck for 20 dollars like 20 dollars just seems really cheap to get a 
compared to I would pay twenty dollars for a single mythic <laughs> on arena. Like, I, I guess that's like, true. If the challenger yeah. that came with an ember cleave or something, then you would just buy four of them to buy four ember cleaves. Uh, so yeah. Because so. yeah, we can't necessarily buy a single card we're looking for. So like something like that. Oh my god! If Hearthstone becomes the budget game, <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, that means Arena is the economy on Arena is just moving that far away from everybody. All right, so that's all the fish mail we have for today. Uh, with a little with a little sidetrack to Hearthstone. Uh, if you have questions, send them to at MG Goldfish with the hashtag MG Fish Mail, and we get to your questions on air. And I believe that that brings us to the end of episode 329 of the MTG Goldfish podcast. So, Richard Krim, thanks for hanging out. Thanks to everyone for listening. And we will be back next week to talk about whatever goes down in the world of magic. So, until then, everyone, have a great week. And this is Aku signing out. Bye.